0: Good morning. Uh, we're gonna, we're going to start today by by doing something a, a, a little different than what we normally do, and that is uh, I'm going to ask you guys to uh, to just take a couple moments and and pray. Uh, one of the things I'm going to ask you to pray for is to pray for me. I've had a really uh, hectic and stressful morning. Uh, I got here late and put together this PowerPoint presentation at about 10, 10.34 a.m. Uh, and our service starts at 10.30 a.m. sometimes. Uh, and so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little, uh, little wound up uh, and my brain is all over the place and uh, I want it to be Uh, on God's word. And so pray pray for me that that God would help me focus, and I'm going to take that time to do the same thing. And pray for yourself. Pray that God will help you focus on God's word, regardless of whatever has happened in your morning thus far today. So let's just take a couple minutes or moments and pray, and then I'll pray, and we'll start talking about God's word together this morning. Father, I thank you that you are a good and gracious and loving Father and that your mercies are new every morning and that your grace is is always 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 sufficient regardless of what our need may be I pray today that you would send your spirit to, to help us as we seek to study and learn from your word together this morning as we uh, begin to talk uh, and look in your word about, about what it means to fight our sin, that you would send your spirit to, to both encourage and to convict, to, to tear down what needs to be torn down and to build up what needs to be built up. I pray that you would enable us uh, to, to focus now, whether our morning was great or whether our morning was not great, we thank you again for your grace to us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice that makes that grace possible for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're in our, our fourth week in this series on union with Christ. And we've talked about how union with Christ is this ideal idea that's, that's all over the New Testament. And it's, it's vitally and critical, critically important for us. We've talked about how it is, is this doctrine that describes our relationship with Jesus. And that it's through that relationship with Jesus that we get all of our interaction with God. Every, every single aspect of our salvation and every blessing of the gospel comes to us through our union with Christ. And because of that, it's it's central, it's important, it's vital that we understand what that is. But we've also talked about that even more than being some, some doctrine or, or theory or idea that we need to understand and know and believe, that union with Christ is a, a relationship. It's something that we live in. It's something that we participate in. And so we started talking a few weeks ago about what it means for us to abide in Jesus, to, to live in in relationship with Him, in union with Him. And we talked about how there's three main ways we do that. We do that by faith, we do that by fighting sin, and we do that by pursuing holiness. And so last week, we talked about abiding in Jesus by faith. This week, we're going to talk about abiding in Jesus by fighting sin. And next week, we're going to talk about abiding in Jesus by pursuing holiness. And so last week, I I stressed really heavily... Uh, abiding in Jesus by faith that it's it's according to Jesus in john six it 's the one thing we do it 's the one thing that God requires of us, and I hope that kind of as we ended last week and we focused so much on that that it made us a little uncomfortable right that maybe maybe it made us feel a little angsty because it 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 didn't tell us to do anything right we didn't talk about obedience and repentance. We, we just talked about faith. And the reason why it makes it feel that way is because these things go together, right? I wanted to emphasize faith because we need to understand that it's all about faith. But in the New Testament, we always see that faith and repentance and obedience Go hand in hand. They're they're always together because obedience and repentance, they flow out of and are produced by the grace that God gives us through faith. The problem is, is that we as people screw up a sermon like last week in one of two ways. We either hear that and say, yes, absolutely, it's all about faith. I've got faith, and now I can do whatever I want. Right, I just I just believe in Jesus, you know, one time, pray a prayer, punch my ticket, get my get out of jail free card, and then I can do whatever. Doesn't matter how I live my life, all I gotta do is have faith. The problem with that is that James says that kind of faith isn't faith. He says, faith without works is dead, and those good works of faith are repentance. And obedience. So today we're going to talk about fighting sin, and part of that is repentance, and next week we're going to talk about pursuing holiness. The second way we screw up a sermon like last week is that we believe it, or at least think that we do, we pay lip service to yeah, salvation is by faith. But really, what we think is that it's all about fighting sin and pursuing holiness. And so we act like we believe in justification by faith, but we live like we're justified by ourselves. And so we focus on how righteous we are and how unrighteous everybody who's not as righteous as we are, are. Both of those things are wrong. Focusing just on faith, or focusing just on fighting sin and pursuing holiness, are wrong. In Ecclesiastes 7.18 Uh, He says, the man or the person who fears the Lord avoids all extremes. Other translations put it this way. They say, it is good that you should take hold of this one thing, and from that don't withhold your hand. The one who fears God shall come out with both of them. Right? We need to grab on to justification by faith alone and Christ alone. But... We shouldn't withhold our hand from fighting sin and pursuing holiness. We need both of these things. That's what we're talking about today. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. But it's important for us along this way to have that in our minds. These things flow out of faith. They're produced by grace. It's not. We're justified by faith. And then the real work begins that we do all ourselves. In Titus 2, Paul says... The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He means Jesus showed up, Jesus did what Jesus did. Because of that, salvation is now made available to all kinds of people. It's no longer just about the Jews. Now everybody can be saved. And then he tells us two things that that grace does. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's the first thing that grace does. And the second thing is it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What he's saying is that the same grace that has saved us is saving us. It does two things. It trains us to renounce ungodliness, to fight sin. And it trains us to live upright, uh, self-controlled, and godly lives to pursue holiness. These things that we're talking about this week, what we're going to talk about next week, they are products of that grace that we receive through faith. So this week, fighting sin. Why are we talking about fighting sin in a series about union with Christ? Why are we talking about fighting sin when we're talking about abiding in Jesus? We're talking about it because of what First John 3 6 says. It says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So last week we talked about how if we want to abide in Jesus, we have to do it by faith. Today we're talking about how if we want to abide in Jesus, we cannot, we must not keep on sinning. Well, we need to see this morning as we talk about fighting sin, is this. This is, this is the truth that I want us to, to walk away with. Sin is dead, but it's not passive. And because of that, we have to be active in our fight with sin. And the reason why I think that's the truth that we need to get is because of how we think about sin. I think theologically, intellectually, we would all admit sin's dead. Jesus killed it. But what we think about when we are not really thinking about sin is that it's, 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 it's kind of all right. It, it's, it's okay in moderation. Right? I can just kind of leave, leave sin over there in the corner, and it's not going to bother me, but, it, but if, I, if I want to or I, or I need to or I decide to do something with it, I can go over there and get it. The problem with that is that sin's not an old crockpot, right? It's not an old set of golf clubs that are just down in your basement that if you want to go out and play golf, you can get them. Sin is actually a lot more like necrotizing fasciitis. Who who knows what that is? What is it? Flesh-eating disease. See, now we know all the people that watch medical shows on TV. They raise their hands. Flesh-eating disease. Uh, since we're going to talk about this, I want to qualify this by saying that if you're a hypochondriac, know that there are fewer than 20,000 cases of this in the U.S. per year. So the likelihood that you're going to hear about this and then go out this week and get this is, is really slim. So don't, don't get freaked out. But flesh-eating bacteria, it's a, it's a thing that happens to people. They, they get a cut on their hand or their body somewhere, and it doesn't get cleaned out Well, enough, and they get an infection from the worst kind of bacteria. And this bacteria spreads rapidly and it kills, it eats the soft tissue in your body. The soft tissue in your body is everything that's not bone for the most part. So, important things. And so, if you get this, you can't just live with necrotizing fasciitis. You can't just say, "Oh, like it's it's just it's just a, there's a little bit on my foot." I'll just I'll just wear tall socks, people won't see it. It's fine. It will kill you. You take antibiotics and they cut it out of your body to keep it from killing you. That's what sin is like. That's how we need to fight sin. We can't just tolerate it. We can't be okay with some of it just kind of being over there because it will kill us this is exactly what paul says in romans eight thirteen. he says for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live john owen wrote a book on this verse and it's it's fantastic it's called the mortification of sin buy it read it if you've already read it read it again there's also an audiobook. If you don't like reading, you can listen to it. If you don't like listening to audiobooks, John Piper preached three sermons where he basically kind of read John Owen's book to his church. Uh, listen to that. It is phenomenal. And he sums up this verse, Romans 8:13, by saying, "Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you." That's what Paul is trying to tell us. Sin is not something that we can be passive towards. Sin is not something that's passive towards us. Either we are killing it or it is killing us. So if we want to live, he tells us what we got to do. Put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit. If we want to live in union with Christ, if we want to live period, We need to be those who put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by looking at our passage this morning, which is Romans 6. Paul gives us a a, a big head start in Romans 8.13. He tells us that we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. This means... That it's not something that's, that's discipline or self-control or some self-help regimen that we create for ourselves. Fighting sin, putting to death the deeds of the body is something that we can only do by the Spirit. The way we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is that we use the one thing that the Spirit has given to the church for our encouragement, for our fight against sin. And that is this book right here. Right, John Piper, in his sermon on this, talks about how it's the, the one offensive weapon we get in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the thing that God has given us to fight sin. And so we should see what it has to tell us about how we should fight sin. We should see what it has to tell us about how our union with Christ uh, equips us to fight sin. And we see that in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul, in Romans, has just been expounding on on the grace of God. He's been talking about how abundant the grace is that God shows to us by, by justifying us by faith in Jesus. And so in Romans 6, at the very beginning, what he's doing is he's anticipating a question that that people are going to have about that abundant grace, right? Because God's grace is so amazing, because it's more than enough to cover our sin, let's just sin more so that God's grace is even more amazing and more abundant, right? Isn't that what we should do? Right? Just, Just keep sinning build up a whole bunch more sin so that God's grace is even greater? No. Right, that's the question Paul asks. Should we do that? And he says, by no means. In English, they kind of try to bring this out with the the exclamation point there. But Paul, in Greek, is using the strongest possible negative language he can. Right? This is, this is the, like, the version of no that a parent says when a kid is reaching out to touch a stove that's burning. Right? It's like a guttural, visceral, primal scream. No! Don't do it! This is what Paul is saying. Absolutely not. He's going to tell us why. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. What is he talking about? We, 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 don't, we don't know, Paul. Tell us. Verse 4, he does. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that baptism, which we're going to get to witness today, he's saying it's a picture of our union with Christ. When we are converted, we are united with Christ in his death. We see that in baptism when we go down into the water. It's like burial. It's like death. But then when we come up out of the water, it's like being resurrected with Jesus we are united with Jesus both in his death and also in his life and these aspects of our union with Jesus absolutely are connected to our fight with sin and our pursuit of holiness we'll talk about the second one next week and so if you feel like as we walk through this I leave things out of the passage it's because we're going to talk about them next week because it's kind of two sides of the same coin so Paul in verse 5 explains this more It says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that's that's our body of sin, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. One who has died has been set free from sin. Who is the one who has died? It's Jesus, but who else is it? It's us. It's everybody who is trusted in Christ and Christ alone for salvation and is united with him in his death. Paul's already told us, right? When we're baptized... It's an outward picture of the spiritual reality that happens to us at conversion. We are united with him in a death like his. And then he says, One who has died has been set free from sin. That's us. We are, are no longer, absolutely not, not at all, not in any way enslaved to sin. We are completely, totally, without a doubt, free from it. That's important. Right? How, how doesn't union with Christ impact our fight with sin? Right? Because when we get that, when we understand that, it tells us that we, we, we can't continue in our sin. Because we're not indebted to it. We're not enslaved to it. It has no power over us. And that should shape the way we fight it. Right? Because what normally happens when we describe our struggles with sin, is, you know, I, 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 I tried to fight, but it was, just, it was just too strong. The temptation was too great. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fight it. it, it the battle was, was too hard, and it just got me. No. That's not true. Paul says that the one who has died, that's, that's Jesus, and anyone that's in Jesus is set free from sin. That means anytime we try to trick ourselves into thinking that our sin is just bigger than us and takes us down, we are lying to ourselves and we are lying about what Jesus has done for us. The truth is that we decided to sin anyway. The truth is that we picked up those chains that Jesus freed us from and we walked ourselves back into that cell that he bought us out of and we decided to stay there. We decided to sin like it had power over us, even though it absolutely doesn't have any power over us. We gave in to something that we didn't have to give in to because we wanted to. And that's not something we want to admit about ourselves. Because that blows any self-righteousness we might have right out the window. So if that's true, then then why do we continue in sin? Why why do we still struggle with it? I think Paul kind of already gave us the answer to that in Romans 8.13. He said, don't live according to the flesh or you'll die, but put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit so that you live. The flesh isn't, isn't our body in Paul, right? Paul doesn't think that our body is evil, and right? We just need to start killing our body. When he's talking about our flesh, he's talking about that, that part of us that, that is still around from before Jesus transformed our lives. The, the flesh is who we are apart from God's intervention in us. Something that's, that's in us that still needs to be sanctified out of us. And that part of us still wants to do the things that we used to do. That part of us still wants to do whatever we want to do on our own. In Galatians, Paul says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The things that you want to do in that case should be spiritual things. They should be fighting sin and pursuing holiness, but there's, there's still this part of us that is holding us back. That's why there's this fight. That's why there's this battle. I think sometimes we hear truth about our union with Christ and being united with Him in His death and us being freed from sin, and then we think, well, well if that's true, then why do I struggle? Since I struggle, that can't be true. But the reality is that our struggle... Proves that it's true. Right? If we were not free from sin, there would be no struggle. There would be us being enslaved to sin and just continually giving into it. And we wouldn't care about it. Because we've been freed from it, because our eyes have been opened, because we've been made alive, because there's a significant portion of us that isn't the flesh, there is that struggle that happens within us. Praise God for that struggle. But we still need to be those who are putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. We need to kill the flesh that's left in us. We need to be pursuing more and more sanctification so that that part of us gets smaller and smaller and smaller. That doesn't mean that the fight's ever going to get easier. But it at least won't be as broad, perhaps, at some point. We must put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So I want to give us some specific ways to do that this morning. To put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, I think we need to do two main things. The first one is pray. Right? If we're going to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, we're going to need the Spirit's help to do it. It's not something we're going to be able to do on our own. And so we need to pray and engage with God on these things. We need to ask him to empower us and equip us, to convict us of sin, to help us in this fight against sin. If the spirit is the primary means God has given us to put to death the deeds of the body, why wouldn't we ask the spirit to help us fight sin? Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for other people. Pray in the midst of a struggle with sin. Ask for help. Ask for deliverance. Pray about specific struggles. Pray. It's it's not hard. We just have to do it. The second way is what we've already tried to do this morning. That is taking the Word of God, which the Spirit of God gave to the church, and applying it specifically and regularly and consistently to our struggle with sin. And I want to give you five specific examples of how to do that. Of taking God's word and, and putting it right on our struggle with sin. The first example is confession. In James five, Paul, or not Paul, in James five, James tells us to confess our sins to one another. Really, he, he commands us to. So if we're not confessing our sins, we need to confess that we're not confessing our sins because that's sin. Now, I'm not saying, right, I know that, you know, that that sounds Catholic. I'm not saying confess your sins to me. I don't want that. And I don't have time for that. Confess your sins to one another, right? We need to be doing that with each other. And, um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, and I know I've probably shared this before, but I think it's still helpful. I need to remind myself of it a lot. In his book, Life Together, he talks about confession and how helpful confessing our sins to one another actually is for us. Um, and he, he points out that often we're, we're more focused on confessing our sins to God, which is a good thing that we absolutely must do also. But he says that what, what happens a lot of the time is when we confess our sins to God, really what we're doing is that we're confessing our sins to ourselves in our head. Right? Like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I'm moving on with my day. There, there, there's no way that in that moment I'm actually coming to grips with my sin. That I'm actually reconciling my sin before a holy and perfect God. I'm, I'm not Doing that. And Bonhoeffer points out that when we confess our sins to one another, it helps us do that. Right? Because when we have to say out loud something horrible or even not so horrible that we've done to another person and see their face and know that they know what we just told them, that helps us come to grips with with the gravity and and the heinousness of our sin. And it also gives us somebody else who's going to pray for us and encourage us and hold us accountable. So it's a win-win-win. Confess your sins to one another. Second one, Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples and the crowds that are there that if their right hand causes them to sin to to cut it off. Their right eye causes them to sin to to gouge it out. Christian tradition doesn't tell us the story of a bunch of one-armed, one-eyed disciples running around. And so it's safe for us to assume that Jesus didn't mean it literally because none of his closest followers took it literally. But... I don't think that that means that we should empty it of all of its meaning. Instead, I think that we should see that what Jesus is saying is he's saying take extreme, extreme action in your fight against sin. Don't be afraid to cut something out of your life if it is causing you to sin. Like prevent sin and temptation from happening by taking drastic actions so that you can be more successful and more victorious in your fight against sin. And I think this means being willing to be inconvenienced, being willing to be thought weird by other people, being willing to put yourself in a position that you don't want to be in just to protect yourself from doing the thing that you don't want to do. Um, for, for example, uh, right now I'm on a, on a crazy restrictive diet. And that means when we go to restaurants, I've got to order weird things and be that guy that's like, I want this without that and, that and 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 that. Never mind, I don't want anything. But I do that because I know that if I don't do that in about an hour, I'm going to feel horrible. And so I'm willing to take drastic measures and put myself in a position that I don't want to be in and be that awkward horrible person at a restaurant that has that really specific order. If I'm willing to do that about food, why wouldn't I be willing to do that about my struggle with sin? Which is so much more important. Practically, right? You know what your struggle is. You know what that looks like. We just don't want to do it because we would rather keep sinning than be inconvenienced. Take drastic actions. Third one, First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is a promise from God to us. This means, number one, we will never be in a situation where we are unable to fight our sin. He says that right there. He says, uh, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Period. This means any temptation we know God has promised, we are able to fight it and overcome it. We are never not able. The second thing it tells us is that there's always, 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 always a way out of it. There's a way of escape. Whenever I go to a restaurant, I have to sit in a position where I can see the door. Because I'm weird. Pretty much the only way I'm okay with not doing that is if I'm having lunch with a guy who I also know does that, and I know he's going to be watching the door. It's because I want to know who's coming in and who's coming out, and I want to know in case, you know the apocalypse happens and I need to get out of there quick where the exit is. What would it be like if we all approach temptation like I approach eating at restaurants? (laughs) Right? And any situation we're going in knowing, hey, this is a situation I might be tempted in. There's a way out. There's a way out. There's a way out. I'm ready if I need to get out of here before temptation hits. The problem is, is that we see all of those way outs but instead we choose to stay right there because we want to stay right there. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It will not be beyond your ability, and there will always be a way out. Look for the way out and take it. The next two are specifically about union with Christ. The first one we've already talked about today, right? We're dead to sin. Fight sin like you're dead to sin. Know that, believe that, and put that into practice. When temptation comes, remind yourself, it's dead. I'm not enslaved to it. I don't have to do it. I can choose to do something else and do it. The fifth one is that we should fight knowing that we are united with Jesus. Jesus is is in us. Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. And part of the passage we're going to look at next week, Paul says this in Romans 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Because of union with Christ, it matters what we do with our bodies. It matters what situations we put ourselves in. Listen to how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6.15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Which is another way of saying, do you not know that you're united with Jesus? And he says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of of a prostitute. Never. That's not a metaphor. I'm not going to be graphic because I don't want to be graphic. But Paul's talking about a specific situation that the Corinthian church is facing. People that were united with Jesus were going to the temples where there were prostitutes. And they were participating in what happened there in ways that they absolutely should not have been. And he's telling them you are uniting yourself, who is united with Jesus, with a prostitute. Don't do that. We need to recognize that we are united with Jesus. Jesus is always with us. He was with the Corinthians when they were doing what they were doing, and he with us when we are doing what we are doing. When we get angry with our spouse or with our kids, Jesus is there. When we look at stuff or watch stuff that we shouldn't, Jesus is there with us. When we gossip about people or talk about people behind their backs, Jesus is there with us. He is there with us in our temptation and he is there with us when we give in to sin. How much different would our fight with sin be if we lived like Jesus was really there? Most of the secret sin that we struggle with, is secret. right? It's things that we do when we're alone. If you're in Christ, you're never alone. Jesus is always there with you. He is in you. He is with you. And when you do what you shouldn't do, you are taking members of Jesus, that's your body, and uniting them with things that he is violently opposed to. And that we should be violently opposed to. Scripture gives us so many more of these truths that we can take and lay hold of and use in our fight against sin. But I think these five are a great place to start. Confess your sin to one another. Take extreme action in your fight against sin. Look for the way out, and take it. Fight like sin is dead, because it is. And fight sin with Jesus there. I'm going to pray, and then Sean is going to come and introduce the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for passage after passage after passage in your word where you communicate to us and reveal to us great and precious promises and true spiritual realities that we live in. And I pray that you would send your spirit to equip and enable us to to take hold of them by faith, and to leverage them in our fight against our sin. I pray that we would be reminded from your word this morning that sin isn't passive and that we can't be passive with it either. I pray that you would enable us to actively and consistently fight it by faith and by the Spirit and that we would take the truth of your word and apply it and believe it and live it out. Jesus, I thank you that we have been united with you in your death, and because of that, we are freed from sin. And I thank you that you are always with us. Pray that you would cause us to remember that in our struggle with sin. Pray now that as we move to celebrate your death through both the Lord's Supper and, and, and baptism and, and, and worship together, that you would send your spirit to just continue to, to encourage and convict us and to allow us to, to worship and respond to you rightly this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.